welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Monday, March 16th. Derek Van Riper here with Matt Modica. On this episode, we're looking back at a few auctions that took place this weekend. Tout Wars happened, albeit online, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Matt was also a part of an auction yesterday, uh, so we're going to talk about some of the things that happened in all of those leagues as uh, many of us have been confined to staying home in hopes of reducing the spread of the virus in in the weeks ahead. So it's kind of a what else can we do sort of moment for the podcast and just for, for many of us as a whole. It's like you're just confined to so few things right now and for understandable reasons, of course. Uh, Matt, how are things going for you on this Monday? Uh, I mean, I think as best as possible considering the situations. And one thing I will say to people is... When you panic, you make the you make very poor decisions. So you know, just try and do your best going forward. And yesterday, the auction I did was desperately needed. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I mean, Tout Wars is normally it's a live auction. You know, Saturdays uh, in Midtown Manhattan, mid March. You know, so it's a it's a nice time of year where you've got March Madness basketball games going on all weekend. Uh, you get an AL auction, an NL auction. The mixed auction that I play in, and then you got a head-to-head uh, points league that auctions as well. So you kind of have four auctions usually spread out over about three days. So it's a, a gathering where there's lots of friends hanging out together, talking baseball, enjoying the tournament, uh, spending time at Foley's. You and I have, have enjoyed a few beers there over the years, uh, getting wings over at Virgil's, and, and just not having that was definitely weird, but at least getting together with that community in some form and, and kind of moving ahead a little bit uh, was was nice. It was therapeutic in some way, just realizing that, yeah, we're, we're not going to get out much for a while. Uh, big city, small city, I don't think it matters at this point. I think people are going to really have to uh, shut things down for quite some time. Uh, now, so I want to talk about a couple interesting things that went down in these auctions. And again, it, it, I'll admit, it feels weird to talk about fantasy baseball when so many terrible things are happening, but at the same time, I just don't know where else to really go uh, with what I'm talking about. So let's talk about Mike Trout, uh, Garrett Cole, some of the, the, the top-end players, and, and I'm interested to get your philosophy on on this. Like, There's a $15 gap in the Mixed Tout Wars auction. 15 teams, it's OBP instead of average. Trout went for 55, Garrett Cole went for 40, and I just think it's a little strange. I, I wonder if that's just a simply the result of the Tout Wars approach still being a little bit less aggressive with pitching. Uh, Jacob deGrom did pop up to 50, but that was kind of the outlier because we saw Scherzer go for 35. Justin Verlander went for 32. I just I was really surprised in this particular auction to see the top pitching fall that far behind the top bats. I mentioned Trout at 55, Yelich at 53, Acuna at 55. Based on where they go in ADP, compared to where they went in this auction, there's a huge difference in value. Yeah, I think I noticed over the weekend, it might have been Gray from Razball that said, what's the difference between Garrett Cole and Julio Urias? For me, there there is a difference. And Julio Urias is somebody I acquired yesterday. Was I wanted either a Urias or a Lazardo, considering that I'm going off the presumption if we do resume, it's four months or less. But in that short-term I want the best players possible if I can get them. I I think you want a more stars approach. Of course, there's a shorter window. There's going to be, in a shorter window, there's definitely going to be more, say, luck or chance involved as opposed to the reason I love playing fantasy baseball season long 
It's a full season of six months. It's a grind. It's a marathon. It's basically, you know, wearing people out and you, your ability to stay focused over that span. Yeah, I think that's maybe a big part of it, though, uh, considering the certainty of a shortened season, probably a significantly shortened season. The difference between the aces and the mid-pack pitchers who have innings caps, that gap is going to close. And how much it closes hinges on just how much season is lost. That's kind of a fairly obvious take, I think, that people have hopefully come to to this point. So I think that has kind of pulled down some of the interest, uh, the the necessity for some to lock in one of those top pitchers. So maybe that was what was being reflected uh, in those prices. But I, I'm kind of curious just to ask you about the the room you were in as a whole. Was it generally a stars and scrubs across the board, even a situation where a lot of teams were operating under the same, try not to spend too much at catcher, try not to do... X, Y, or Z? Like, Did it seem like you had a room of 15 owners with very similar strategies in your auction? Uh, no, I think it was pretty much spread out. I went more of a stars-scrubs approach, though I didn't get you know any $40 players. Uh, I built a core of guys I wanted, uh, and other people you know, played it like they would, I guess, normally. They wanted to have a good overall team, a more balanced approach, and have that hammer late. So that was interesting to me, and being that this was a standalone league as opposed to other NFBC where there's overalls involved, I had I had a different approach as well, just based on that. Yeah, I think I'm looking through some of the results now, and the team you built, I, I like it because you've got guys that could significantly exceed what you paid for them. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. for 33, I've talked about him. 100 times this draft season probably already <laughs> so i'm not gonna get really too far into it here but that seems like a, a really solid price on him and I, I think i've come to this point where he's a player who i'm much more likely to end up with in an auction scenario than in a straight draft and i, I think it's really weird how the players like that can exist but that's where i'm at with him i mean i got him in a labor a couple of weeks ago and i'm looking at him just compared to say like trevor story who went for 37 lindor went for 37 I think in, in this case, I'm a little surprised those other guys didn't go for more, but 33 out of 260 for Tatis seems pretty solid. Yeah, I, I wanted to... Uh, so who's the first hitter I bought? Uh, I was try, I was in on Lindor. I think he went to 37. I think I said 36. You know, I, I figured he would give me some, uh, you know, the speed-power combo runs. He's dynamic. I mean, it, it could go wrong, but it's a shorter period here now. And I don't need an abundance of speed, but I need speed, and I knew I was getting that base. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a nice little base there between Tatis, Bo Bichette at 29. Uh, you know, you look at some of the the outfield darts that you, you threw to Dylan Carlson, Joe Adele at two bucks a piece. I, I like those buys, I and mean, that's definitely the stars and scrubs sort of of mindset that I I like to play with as well. Um, I, th I think the other wrinkle here, I mean, it doesn't just apply to pitching being a lot different, but I think hitting prospects too, they may just get the call because with a shorter season, you just want to push chips in right away. We don't know what MLB is going to do to handle service time. Clearly, there are more important things to figure out before then. But um, I think as it pertains to Dylan Carlson in particular, he was going to come up pretty quickly, put together a great spring. The Cardinals did very little uh, to replace Marcelo Zuna. 
And as much as Tommy Edmond was a nice story last year, I still think he profiles more as a super utility guy than somebody you would regularly want to start in an outfield corner. Yeah, I mean, this team for me is kind of weird. Look, I went and I got players I wanted. I wanted to build a fun team that could hopefully be competitive. Uh, But, you know, building out of the infield as opposed to the outfield was, you know, it it was a bit of a shock to the system here. But the way I look at it is if you're only going to play four months or so, say it's an 81-game season, 100-game season, Teams should just go for it here. <laughs> you know, if you get off to a good start, you're in such a better position. A team like the Blue Jays, if this comes together quick with the hitting, they got Ryu, you know, maybe Pearson's up, you know, within a couple of weeks. So, you know, and they just go for it. And you can always scale back, but there's not going to be much time. So at least take a shot. And that was the approach I was having here. Uh, obviously, I would have liked to have had a better outfield. But as you mentioned, I think Carlson's a kid that you're going to have to play. They didn't upgrade anywhere, really. And, you know, uh, in the reserve rounds, I was able to get – I went like four straight outfielders. And, you know, Austin Riley there, I was thrilled to get in CRT. Uh, Jesse Winker, I know he's a platoon guy. I don't know where he's going to play, but he can hit. Maybe he gets traded. And Jose Martinez. Yeah, I'm looking at the pitching staff you put together. You went Bueller for 39, Gilito for 27, Price for 17. Urias for 14, Stroman for 5, Ronaldo Lopez for 1, Josh Lindblom for 1, Corbin Burns for 1, Matt Shoemaker for 1. I I like the way this came together for you. I think Stroman, mostly because he doesn't strike a ton of guys out, has been kind of underpriced in in drafts and auctions. I think Urias could have maybe gone for 18 to 20, given what we just talked about a few minutes ago, where limitations to his workload are, are probably less problematic now. Uh, and David Price, like I, I continue to look at David Price and think he, in terms of players who change teams this offseason, might be, if he's not at the top of the list of, of winners in gains in terms of like park factors and, and organizational philosophy, he's definitely near the top of that list. So I think you got a really strong pitching staff here. Uh, so obviously you, you didn't go after any closers. Uh, so it, this is a standalone league. Uh, was that a plan going in, or was it the function of just how closers were being priced? I thought it was a real possibility. I would punt closers. Uh, I was still trying to see if I could obtain a couple of guys real cheap. The way I look at it is the closing landscape is changing rapidly. And in a short period of time, I don't think teams are going to have the ability to hold and let's say, let's give this guy a longer leash. You know, you're going to have to make adjustments. And I had started out with Bueller, who I have had as my number three, you know, since, you know, for for months now. And anything under 40, I was willing to pay. And the ability to get Giolito, I was in on the U Darvish bidding. He went for like 32, and I got Giolito for 27, and I have them very close. So I was happy about that. So I had to make a decision here as the uh, auction moved on. And it was the two guys I was really targeting with Price and yours. Uh, Can't say his name right now. I apologize. But I did want to dodge your base, and I like I really really like those three guys. And you're seeing the you're seeing the inflation on these young arms. In that uh, Lozardo went for 18. I had said 17 because in this new world he's a hell of a lot more valuable. I think. But be, being able to get. 
yours for 14. I was pretty happy with that. And I knew at that point I wasn't going to get a closure. Maybe I could sneak in a Hunter Harvey or a Will Smith of the Braves late. Tried those and failed. So I was pretty happy with this. There is fab in this league. So if I want, I can take a shot at whatever closure comes available, try and get a couple of points. But in a standalone, I'm really not afraid of punting. Yeah, I think in, in standalones, you can absolutely do it. It does shrink your margin for error a little bit, mm-hmm. but I also think there's going to be opportunities because I think you're right. Teams will be in a shortened season quicker to make a change in that ninth inning role, knowing that there's just less wiggle room. The the variance increases as a season gets shorter. I was thinking about the Tigers even as a team that could play things differently now because they've got this group of, of young pitching prospects. you got Casey Mize and... Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal, Alex Faito. I mean, you already have Matthew Boyd as a good starter on the big league roster. I think Spencer Turnbull's pretty interesting. It, they may come to a point where they say, you know what, let's just bring all these guys up. They're going to have enough innings to just be our rotation. I think the problem they would still run into is probably not scoring enough runs with that offense. But you know, you add Crone, you add Scope, maybe you get a healthy Miggy. Uh, who knows? Like they could actually be a team that pushes some chips in this year. That I, I never would have said that. You know just a few weeks ago. So um, you do have to look at different corners of the player pool uh, a bit differently. And I think punting saves is something that I've done before and I've won with it before. And I think in a 15-team league especially, you you might find a few on the wire and that might get you out of the bottom of the pack at least. Even just three or four standings points in the category Mm -hmm. might be good enough for investing next to nothing in it. I mean, if you just put a few fab bucks in and get ahead of a, a closer role change at some point, that could at least get you the handful of points in the category that you need. Yeah, I mean, it's different for everyone. I know some people do not like that approach, and that's fine. But I, I just wasn't really thrilled about spending, you know, $10, $12 or in the, in the high single digits on guys I really didn't trust. So that's why I kind of skewed that approach. And then it got to the point with money where it just didn't make sense. And I'd rather – I mean, my starting five, I am – pretty much thrilled with if there is a season at some point and uh, like you mentioned Stroman before I think the move to the National League really helps him look what he was able to do in the American League East all those years now he gets the pitcher uh it should help him and you know it's it's just it's something I I was I was just happy I was able to get the guys I really wanted like I said the only thing that was strange to me was building through the infield and not the outfield. So, Yeah, I kind of followed a similar pattern uh, in, in my Tout Wars mixed auction where I ended up waiting quite a bit for outfielders. I spent $180 by the first break. So I was down to 80, I think, with, <laughs> with seven players purchased. Maybe it was eight. Uh, but I went Trey Turner, fifth player nominated for 41. And compared to Trout at 55, again, this being an OBP league, that pushes up the top end guys a bit more I was pretty happy with that because then I knew I had bags right away I think it was Jeff Zimmerman who threw kind of a nomination curveball he got Nelson Cruz out there early and I got him at 26 so Cruz was the seventh player nominated doesn't really happen that often usually you just see guys like in the top 30 top 40 overall keep getting thrown in some fashion to begin an auction Uh, so I got him at 26 Arenado at 41 James Paxton at 13 was the first pitcher I bought um, easy to understand why he'd be more appealing 
right now as well. Keston Hira at 23 was kind of a another expensive-ish buy that I wasn't necessarily expecting to make, but I thought he should have gone for at least 25, so a little bit of price enforcing. But I think with Keston Hira, it's similar to maybe your interest in in Bobichette and Fernando Tatis Jr. in that we probably haven't seen their best yet because they've got one season in, and what we've seen from each of those players has been so good, it just gets us excited about what that next level can look like. Hira in particular hits the ball to all fields. It's not cheap pull power. It's power to all fields. And I think the K rate has to come down at least a little, if not a lot. Like I just I don't see Keston Hira being a player who's going to strike out 30% of the time going forward. That seems like a, a rookie year sort of thing. He's going to make some adjustments. Whether it takes a few years for him to get to his long-term baseline, I think he's like a low 20% K rate guy once he gets to his peak. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned prior, I, I think you'll see a hybrid from the power and the the plate discipline he had once upon a time. The the hit tool's always been his, you know, calling card. So, I, I, and having that, you know, half a season or whatever, a little less than half a season, I think is extremely helpful. And, you know, a guy like, I'll say this now, who knows when we're playing, a guy like Ryan McMahon has been my target. I think it's the year of Ryan McMahon. You know, everybody likes the other second baseman on Colorado. What's the, uh, what's the speed guy's name? Just Garrett Hampson? I thought you were going to pull yeah. a Voldemort on him. I thought you just didn't <laughs> want to say his name because you, you have so much Ryan McMahon. Yeah, no, like uh, I don't, I don't see it with him. I don't think he's that good of a hitter. I think a guy like Sam Hilliard could us- usurp him from an everyday role and stuff like that. And it seems Colorado's committed to this guy, so I've been—he's been a target of mine, and I was happy to get him. I even went an extra dollar or two, but he was part of my plan. I was second, third base eligibility, so. Yeah, this is a good reminder too. As you have this extra time to prepare for leagues, when you're spending time on that double check your league's requirements for games played the previous season tout wars uses 15 a lot of the leagues i play in use 20 and that added another position for garrett hampson uh but i'm with you i've been kind of pushing for ryan mcmahon going back to the end of last season the average exit velocity last year was 91.4 miles per hour which is elite i mean that puts him in the 90th percentile in exit velocity uh, definitely a guy who I think has another level like Keston Hira. You know, the K rate was pretty high last year, 29.7%. I'm not sure that's where he's going to stay in the long run. Uh, there might be a little more swing and miss or a little less hit tool to put it another way as it pertains to McMahon in the long run. But his improvement might be just bringing that down to like 25, 26%. And we know being in Colorado, mm-hmm. a ball in play for Ryan McMahon is going to be much more heavily rewarded than it would be anywhere else. So that's what makes him so appealing to me is a guy that hits the ball very hard, has a little room to bring that K rate down. Uh, and as a lefty, especially if there were a platoon situation, he has a chance to at least be on the big side of a platoon. Yeah. I, you know, the only guy that I really wanted for my outfield that I was waiting on that I thought would really help this team like later on, and I had maybe $8, you know, to really blow on a guy. And it was Randall Grychuk and Billy Waz, NFFC football football Hall of Famer, actually bid me up. I thought I had him for five. He went six. Uh, and I was just like, uh, or I, I went four, he went five. And I was hesitant to go the six, though. I kind of regretted that. I think that power bat in the outfield would have really helped my team. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's always a few that that get away. You know, no matter how you how you plan in an auction, there's always someone that either has a little more money left, or uh, maybe you get caught price enforcing and things don't fall into to place perfectly. Saturday felt like one of those times where just about everything I was trying to do was working. There were a couple little mm-hmm. twists at the end as I tried to round out my roster where someone else had the hammer and I got pushed away from a player. But after spending that 180 in the first hour or so, I was really kind of concerned that maybe I'd went one player too far and that I was going to have a difficult time kind of filling in the middle part of my roster. But coming out of that break, Cattell Marte sold to me at 19. So I was price enforcing. That's where I really thought I was in trouble. Then Corey Seager, almost an hour later, went for seven. So I got Seager at seven, Buxton at nine, Rysel Iglesias at nine, Kenta Maeda at seven, Luke Voigt at seven, Evisel Garcia at four, Will Smith at four, Andrew McCutcheon at five, and Kyle Tucker at three before I even got to dollar days. So I ended up with only six $1 players when it looked early like I might have 10 or more. Uh, in the head-to-head auction on Sunday, Clay Link ended up with, I think, 11 or 12 $1 players. Like He was really uh, pushing his money out there early on, went really heavy with aces. But um, it was one of those things where I think I, I noticed that the room, in Tout Wars especially, each year continues to get more aggressive early. So if you keep adding plus 5, plus 7, plus 10 even to some of the player values at the top compared mm-hmm. to their projection you're going to lose that value later. That's that's how you get a bunch of single-digit guys who should be probably $15 players in a perfect sort of auction market. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's obvious. And like you said, under the new, you know, what we're looking at when we come back at some point, I think you just really want to have a team that can hopefully get off early and have those guys that can provide. Look, I was looking at it as being a correction in, say, power and some guys that might regress. Like Kendall Marte, I thought was going to regress, but to what? He was, you know, maybe he's 290 and he hits 20 something homers and steals double digit bases. That's still a hell of a player with second base outfield eligibility. And a guy like uh, Glaber Torres, who, yes, I know he hit 38 home runs last year. I was not predicting him to hit 38 home runs this year. But he hit 24 homers and like 430 at-bats as a 21-year-old. And last year he did much of that with no Stanton, a limited uh, judge, and he's going to be batting third in the Yankees lineup. And even with, you know, big players out. And now those guys could possibly both be back. I, I thought, you know, dual eligibility again, a uh, kid who's 22 years old, cut the strike rate down 4%. This kid's, uh, you know, on an upward trend for me. And I, I think sometimes people won't factor in growth. I do that with young players, especially ones that have pedigree and and if you see an improvement in, in, in the plate skills. So I was very happy to get Gleyber Torres. Yeah, Torres, I think, is a nice target. If you're not going to spend up and, and pay the extra few dollars to get the highest-end players on the board, I think he's on that list of players you could get for 25 or 30 in a lot of mixed-league auctions especially, and you might get something just as good as last year, if not better. I mean, he's, he might still have one more level there in the run production categories especially uh, for the reasons you mentioned. I mean, a healthy judge and a healthy Stanton would give that offense a really big lift. Uh, and even if he just kind of repeated what he did last year, you're going to be perfectly happy with that. I mean, we, we saw the the big jump from 18 to 19, went from 24 homers to 38. Um, 
So maybe that's like the big power leap, but I think we could see him get to uh, maybe 110 runs scored and 115, 120 RBIs in his absolute peak season because of the talent around him. Yeah, I mean, I think 30, 100, 100 is realistic. Even if it's, say, 28, you know, 107 runs and 98, you know, runs batted in or something, like a 275 average. I don't think this kid's a 250 average rest of his career and stuff like that, you know. So, and now if you have him sandwiched in between, say, a judge and a Stanton, it should be that much better. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I want to talk about a couple other things that, that fell into place, though. Uh, at the end game, I wanted to get a couple of the young starters. We talked about the possibility of guys being more aggressively promoted this season. Mackenzie Gore for one and Forrest Whitley for one. I think the most difficult part of having guys like that on your roster in a redraft league is being willing to cut them if they don't get that opportunity right away or if they really struggle to begin their time in the big leagues so that could happen too like they're Whitley in particular is the one I'm more worried about because of what happened to him in 2019 whereas Mackenzie Gore I think there's a chance he just hits the ground running as a big leaguer and he's just like a perennial like top 10 pitcher for the Mm -hmm. first five years of his career he just he seems about as safe as a pitching prospect can be Um, getting both was maybe a little bit of a surprise but I want to have a shot at maybe finding uh, another ace type performance in the end game, and I thought those two guys were among my best options to possibly find that. Yeah, no, I I think you're 100 percent correct in what you're saying. I could see Gore being that guy that could, as you say, hit the ground running. But the thing with Whitley that I I like, and I got him in the reserves late, was the back of the Astros rotation right now is suspect. We think your Creedy can be very good. I've always liked McCullers. I still think that could be good. I mean, do we know if Josh James could be a starting pitcher? So this kid was kind of ready. You know, going into last year, we thought he was going to be like maybe the next Walker Bueller type guy to get that opportunity. And he fell flat on his face. But they still are very high on this kid. And, you know, say that first couple of weeks, that first month, he's looking really good. Someone's struggling. I see a path for him to get there. Now, would I hold on to him for a long time? A lot of guys, I think now, if we do start mid-June, July, you're going to have to be willing to cut guys a hell of a lot quicker than you would over a six-month season. Yeah, maybe you could have stashed a player like Whitley or Gore for a month over a full season. I think you've got maybe a week or two. <laughs> like It's really, <laughs> really going to be important to, once we know the service time rules, to kind of keep those in mind and, and understand if it's going to be you know, only five days to protect a year of service time instead of 10 or 13 or whatever it normally ends up being. Okay. That's a week to wait. Uh, So guys might make a start or two at AAA if they're pitchers or play there for a week or two as hitters and then come up. But uh, just as we were saying before the, the urgency on the part of teams, especially a team that has world series aspirations as the Astros do to maximize the roster as quickly (laughs) as possible. Like that's going to take precedent. Uh, I mean, it's weird. Like I didn't, I didn't see anything like a 2019 that Forrest Whitley brought to the mm-hmm. table. No one did. I mean, he was kind of a consensus, at least top three pitching prospect. I think he was number one for some out there, but at least a top three guy on pretty much any prospect list you'd look at. And the walk rate went through the roof. He had injuries. He missed time. Uh, the plan initially, going back to February, mid-February, was that 
Brent Strom, the pitching coach in Houston, expected Whitley to go to AAA to begin the season. He only had 24 and a third innings there last year, and they weren't good innings. So I could definitely understand why they would do that. But I just think they have to make that decision maybe after a handful of starts this year. So we'll see. We'll see what happens down the road. Uh, it's, a, it's probably a long way off, unfortunately, for us to be able to kind of get a read on something like that. Uh, Sean Newcomb was the other $1 pitcher I took a chance on, and I still think he's probably more of a reliever in the long run. But spring training may have, have tricked me a little bit on this one because he looked really good. And the thing that I think has me wondering if I'm wrong about Newcomb is that he does actually throw four different pitches. The problem is that he just doesn't use the slider or the changeup that often. It's really a, a four-seamer curve combo for most of what he does about 85% of the time it's a four seamer or a curveball. If he can get to that third or fourth pitch more often, at least get to three pitches with 10 to 15% usage or more, I think there's a better chance he can stick as a starter in Atlanta. Yeah. I, when we got to reserves, I knew I had a pound outfield early just so I could have combinations to, you know, especially with NFBC, it's Monday to Thursday, Friday to Sunday. So I knew I had to pound that. But for my pitching, my plan was to get both Newcomb and Wright, uh, Newcomb and Kyle Wright, and hope one of them got the role and the other guy was right there or maybe both could, you know, be starters in the very near future for them. But uh, Newcomb had just went. I got Kyle Wright. I know he looked good last spring, but he looks very good again. I think this is a talented pitcher. It's an arm. Like I was saying all, you know, this preseason, I want to stack Braves pitchers. They become very popular, so it's, it's getting tougher and tougher to do. But I thought that was a, a good investment on your part, getting Newcomb. Uh, I wanted him, didn't get him, but I did get right. Yeah, Kyle Wright's pretty interesting. Bryce Wilson also. I mean, they're just loaded with pitching prospects. Uh, Ian Anderson comes up. I kind of have him below those guys because of some things that Eno said about uh, the stuff, even though the results have been so good for Anderson to this point. Uh, I noticed you went after Josh Lindblom and Corbin Burns, though, for a dollar each. I mentioned them when I was running through your pitching staff earlier. Uh, Burns was also having a nice spring before the shutdown and, and Lindblom, I just think people are sleeping on him in part because he was not really that interesting as a prospect before he went to Korea. You know, like there, it wasn't like Josh Lindblom was a, a failed big league pitching prospect who we once were excited about in fantasy. So I think that's kind of enabled him to sneak back into the big leagues somewhat under the radar, despite having a lot of success, you know, increasing the spin and velocity on his fastball, coming back with a splitter that he didn't have. Uh, the last time he pitched stateside, a really interesting guy that I think for the minimal price in an auction or even a reserve pick in some cases is worth the flyer. Yeah, I actually wanted to get Limboom, Burns, and Peralta, uh, but I was unable to get Peralta at a, you know, it was the only one I was, wasn't able to get, I should say. And look, he's got a rotation spot here. Uh, I'll give a shout out to uh, Scott Jenstad and Vlad Sedler. Them two, along with Rob Silver and myself, we have a text thread, and we've been doing it for months. It's, it's, it's a blast. It's even better than Twitter as far as I'm concerned. And they uh, and those guys seem to like Limbloom. So I, I went with them on that one. Me and Vlad got him in our online championship we did like a week or so ago. So, you know, I, I like those arms. And a guy like Shoemaker, 
when healthy, that's a big if and stuff. He's shown he can pitch. He's going to get that opportunity, so why not? Yeah, I think Shoemaker, he, he's a good like spot starter in a 15-team mm-hmm. league especially. And, and the Jays have this thing they're doing that kind of looks like a Milwaukee sort of rotation. Chase Anderson being there too. Tanner Roark. They bring in Ryu. Um, Nate Pearson might be a bigger factor in their That's plans. That's what I now. wanted. I couldn't get him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, stuff's obviously off the charts good, so it wouldn't surprise me to see him for most of 2020 as well. I think they they believe that they can play the matchups carefully, maybe make sure they're not exposing their pitchers a third time through the order on days where they shouldn't, and they can put it together. I think the key for them is having enough bullpen pieces to bridge the gap on those days. I'm not sure they have the bullpen depth to pull it off. I think that's my mm-hmm. my bigger question. I think they're going to score plenty of runs because they have a lot of young talent. They have a lot of guys who can exceed expectation. they got a few guys that are, are just really solid players who like Randall Gritchick, for example. Maybe they get a bounce back from Shaw or maybe Rowdy Telez takes a step forward. Like They could have a, a lineup that runs probably seven deep that is actually among the, the more balanced lineups in the American League. So I think scoring runs is no problem. The starting pitching might be a little better than people give it credit for. And a guy like Matt Shoemaker is a big part of the reason why. Yeah, and I really didn't draft relievers. You know, if you want to put Burns as that right now. But I did want one guy, and I got him in the last round of reserves. And I was very happy to get it, especially with this delay. It gives him more time to heal. And that was Dylan Betances. He's a guy that, you know, 60, 70 innings is striking out over 100 guys every year. Uh, In the condensed season, now he has time to fully recover even a couple months extra. You know, I could place him in there on a week where I want to avoid some matchups and get the strikeouts and who knows, maybe get a couple of saves here and there as well. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, anything else that really kind of caught your eye in, in your auction? I saw Chris Sale go for $3. And- I wanted to do four so bad. And like I said, he's been one of my favorite pitchers to watch. And, you know, I, I love the guy, but I just think it's inevitable. Even if you give him two months off, I, I think it's a shame, uh, you know, being that it was going to be a lost season for him, maybe they should have just had it and he just would have missed this year, which is going to probably be a condensed year anyway. But... I, I think that was a good buy. You know, for $3, you don't get, you know, you get nothing out of sale, but that could be a, a $3 if he proves us wrong and gives you three or four months. You know, that could be the purchase of the whole uh, auction. Yeah, you do wonder, though, in a, a situation like sale, if, if they change course and, and do have him undergo a procedure, but it is a flexor strain. So for now, the UCL is supposed to be intact. We'll see if the, if the time off enables Chris Sale to recover. He was cheap in the Tout Wars auctions over the weekend, too. I think in the mixed auction I was in, he went for nine to Jake Seeley. He was the 97th player thrown. So he was thrown when people actually had some money to spend. And then in the head-to-head draft, which is only 12 teams that went down yesterday, I think Ian Kahn got him for five Maybe it was seven. I think it was five. So mm-hmm. low prices on Chris Sale, uh, even though the time off could end up being something that enables him to pitch more than we expected. Uh, it's a larger share of the season than we expected this year. Uh, anything else that stood out to you, though, as you, you saw yesterday's auction unfold? No, I think it's just something I'll say that as you're watching it, you, especially in 15 teams, you know, you're going to have to realize there's certain positions, you know, you're going to have to look at guys that are going to be a dollar or two 
and say at the first base position, I would have liked to have gotten Luke Voigt, but I knew he'd go in that $7 range or you know minimum five, and I was kind of getting priced out on that. And the ability to get Yandy Diaz at two with you know both corner eligibilities and Daniel Murphy late for a buck. I know everybody just gave up on Daniel Murphy, though going into last season, you know he was a fifth round pick and everybody had him winning the batting title. You know those are kind of things that I was extremely happy to get uh, late and gave me a lot of flexibility. Like when we went to reserves, I didn't have to worry about infielders because I have guys that have multiple. Eligibility. Look, did I overpay on Boba Shett? Probably, but as I stated, he was a guy I wanted for this, uh, and I thought he fit the team well. And getting Vlad Guerrero, even if he's not going to bat three thirty, I think he's going to hit three hundred or so, and it's going to be much. He was going to be much better this year than he was last year. So I got that average to balance it out. So you got to be realizing your team and what you lack. That's why for me, Gritchuk was a guy I was waiting on. And really wanted to get that, you know, guy that wasn't going to give me average or really, but he has a role, should play every day, and has power. And that's the key. Yeah. He was a $1 player in the mixed auction from Saturday. Gene McCaffrey scooped him up. He plays. Like, that's the thing. He's he's not a big side platoon guy who you have to worry about losing playing time. He's out there pretty much every day. So I do like Gritchick this year quite a bit as a, a really nice, like, cheap power source, usually available around pick 250 of a, of a snake draft and ended up being a dollar days player in this particular auction. But I think as more teams begin to adopt a, a stars and scrubs approach in a mixed league, you almost have to start thinking about your roster differently. You have to kind of accept the reality in many cases of overpaying for some talent up top. I don't know if you necessarily have to go as far into that mode as some owners do. I saw Ariel Cohen, on Sunday in the head-to-head, do a pretty good job of, of getting a couple guys. I think he got like Bregman and Devers, who were relative bargains compared to the other elite hitters. And then he kind of sat back and, and put together a more balanced sort of squad. Jeff Zimmerman does that, I think, pretty much every year in, in Nick's Tout Wars. It works really well for him. Um, the key, if you go that route, I think, is making sure that you load up on the second-tier guys. So where I was starting to get those bargains on the Seeger types cleaning up in that section and also finding a few 20 and $25 players who are a little bit underpriced. I think that's really kind of the the key to having success with that. Like if I look at, at Jeff's roster right now, he did get a discount on Justin Verlander. So he bought an ace, but he got Verlander for 32, which compared to Cole at 40 and DeGrom at 50 ends up being a, a pretty nice buy if Verlander's healthy. Um, he went with Marcelo Zuna at 21 and Josh Donaldson at 25 and Springer at 27. So he's got a lot of high volume, what I would describe as really stable bats. And where he tried to really use that extra money, I think was paying a couple extra dollars when other people didn't have it to get Kyle Schwarber at 12, to get Marcus Semyon at 17, to get Eugenio Suarez at 20. Edwin Diaz at 12, like he just really controlled that part of the auction, kind of going all the way down to even the the last hour or so. David Price at nine, we talked about him earlier. Odorizzi at five, like if you can control a, a large portion of the middle and late part of the auction with the money you save, you can build a great team even without going stars and scrubs. I think it works really well, though, when most of the room goes stars and scrubs, it's where it's sort of a different strategy. I think if you have a, an even mix where if half the room went stars and scrubs, half the room went balanced, 
I think it's more difficult to build the balanced team you want in those circumstances. Yeah, I mean, as far as a draft or an auction, you have to know your strengths and you have to know your tendencies. I know I'm never going to have the hammer. I'd rather pay up on my high-end guys a couple of dollars. I'm not somebody that says, this is the price, I won't go over it. That I don't believe in. But I'd rather pay more on, on, on the superstars than pay, say, an extra $5 on a $15 player. That's just the way I look at it. And like you said, you can do it several ways. It can work. If that's your strength, that's how you feel comfortable, build your team that way. But go in, know your strengths, have a plan, and try and execute it as best as possible. And you can review the results from Tout Wars at toutwars.com for all the leagues. So regardless of the type of league you plan, you can click through and, and see what people did as they were we're going about things. And, and one thing I would like to say, I want to compliment Fantrax first. So the online auction room worked really well there. Uh, but the thing I really like about their results, when you look at auction results, the order in which the players were nominated is really important. And there's a timestamp on it. You can look by pick or you can look by team. So you can look at everybody's roster and you can see you know what they paid, when in the order that player came up and what time it was, like the literal timestamp of when the player was sold. And I love that because you can you can get a clear understanding of what was happening at that time. You can kind of put the pieces back together because other, otherwise, if you look at auction results, and I probably said this on the pod before, you just sit there and you go, oh, why was that guy so cheap? That's a great mm-hmm. bargain. There's usually bargains in a mixed league auction. There are almost always going to be a lot of bargains in a mixed league auction. So putting the context of when the players were built and even like on the individual rosters, you can kind of see like, okay... Uh, Scott Pianowski went Goldie, Rizzo, Kershaw, Bryant, Grinky, Wheeler, Blackman. Like, really stable with most of that base. Then you can kind of understand where is he going to take his shots later. You can look through and kind of figure out the strategy he might have been trying to implement and decide how well he implemented it, right? Like, I just think that's a, a great way to display results. So thanks to Fantrax for, for stepping up and, and hosting the online auctions this weekend. And a uh, really cool feature to have the results listed out that way because context is kind of important when it comes to auction results. <laughs> it's it's very important. And my team would have looked different. Uh, I was in on the Bryce Harper bidding, but Harper went all the way up to $41. So I didn't get Harper. You know, if I would have had him at 30-something, that would have changed the, you know, look of my team. That was earlier on. Like I said, I just missed out on Lindor. I mean, there were other guys. So you have to, you know, take that into granted. And like I said, when you look at an auction board, oh, like this guy went for this, there's a reason. You know, and I think you spelled it out perfectly. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you don't have a subscription, you can get one for 40% off at theathletic.com slash podcast. Of course, our draft kit content's still there if you haven't had a chance to check all that out yet. You can find Matt on Twitter at CTM Baseball. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. For Matt Medica, I'm Derek Van Riper. We're back with you Wednesday with Under the Radar. Stay safe out there.